listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. This is Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-host today is Quinn from Egan, Minnesota. Hi, Quinn. Hi, everybody. Quinn, today we're talking carnivores, both plant and animal, flora and fauna. A carnivore is something that only eats creatures. What is your favorite carnivorous animal? The owl. I really love owls. It's my spirit animal. And snowy owls can be very courageous because they build their nest on the ground where they may have to flee polar bears. What do owls usually eat? Um, Mice, but great horned owls tend to eat skunks without getting sprayed. Maybe they'll get sprayed, (laughs) but they do eat some amazing things. How did you get interested in owls? I just started reading books about them, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I love these. I really want to read more. So you're very curious about owls. Yes, and and now I like learn... Every, I've learned everything about owls. So you're pretty much an owl expert now. Yes. Very cool. We are going to start by talking about carnivorous plants, and I'm going to take this as an opportunity to do something I've always wanted to do. In a world where herbivores eat plants and carnivores eat animals, comes a plant that eats animals. It's called a carnivorous plant. And I ask you, who could tame such a plant? Her name, Cassidy. My name is Cassidy, and I live in Chino Hills, and I'm seven years old, and I'm in second grade. Cassidy grows Venus flytraps. Yes, I do. And what do these fearsome organisms look like? You know plants that have leaves? Let's just imagine there's a butterfly there that makes a little V, and then there's points on the butterfly's um, little wings. That'd be it. That'd be a Venus flytrap. Okay, so maybe fearsome isn't the best word to describe these carnivorous plants, but they are super cool. And Venus flytraps are just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, there's Venus flytraps, there's pitcher plants, there's the cobra lilies, bladderworts. A lot of those are actually aquatic, and their traps are very similar to the Venus flytraps in that they're rapid action traps, but very tiny and they're underwater so people don't uh, see them too often. So we've got those and we've got sundews and there's also butterworts. Ricky Garza is a horticulturist and gardener at the Minnesota Landscape Arboretum. He says carnivorous plants are found in wet, boggy places. And these places are hard to walk in. They're, they're, you could sink in the muck pretty quickly. So they're not very human-friendly sort of environments, uh, but um, the plants find their little niche there. And these places also have acidic soil, which is a problem. Generally, plants get all the nutrients and energy they need from water, sun, air, and soil. But this acidic soil doesn't have the nutrients that plants require, particularly nitrogen. So carnivorous plants have found a workaround. They get that nitrogen from bugs. Carnivorous plants use some pretty nifty tricks to convince insects to land on them. So part of it's the color, and part of it is they have little nectar sources that they are dewdrops that they lure them in on. And a tasty little surprise for the insect. 
Once the plant has lured an insect with a tasty meal, the next step is to trap it. Different carnivorous plants do this in different ways. Sundews trap the insects between sticky, pin-like stalks. Butterworts use a similar sticky substance to trap insects on their leaves. And pitcher plants are shaped like wells that are very hard to get out of. The edge is very slippery and they wind up slipping slightly down into the pitcher plant. Beyond that smooth spot, there's downward pointing hairs. They actually get stabbed by these little hairs. So they're forced basically lower and lower down into the pit. And then there's the star of the carnivorous plant world, the Venus flytrap. The reason they get the most attention is because of the way they trap their meals. You know those um, hairs that are on it? Flies go onto the Venus flytrap, right? Then it has to touch two trigger hairs, and then it'll close right up. It's kind of like a sensor. Exactly. So picture a clamshell, or like Cassidy described it, butterfly wings. Before the Venus flytrap catches an insect, it's open. Inside the two halves are six trigger hairs. If an insect touches two of the trigger hairs within 20 seconds, it snaps shut. And it snaps shut quickly, like fraction of a second quickly. People are just amazed that a plant can move that rapidly. Whether you're young or old, I think it's fascinating. That leads to this very excellent question from Alden and Nevada from Leavenworth, Washington. How do Venus flytraps move? Since they are plants, they do not have muscles. It turns out it's still something of a mystery. Scientists aren't exactly sure what's happening after that trigger, but many think that it has something to do with water pressure inside the plant. There's a rapid change in water pressure that's inside the leaf, and actually the tip of the leaf grows very quickly. The leaf blades on the Venus flytrap go from being convex to being concave, and that action makes the the flytrap close. So a change in water pressure causes a change in the shape of the leaf, snapping the cage shut. Now we know how they lure the bugs and how they trap the bugs. But what puts the carnivore in carnivorous plants? My name is Solomon, and I live in Ponca City, Oklahoma. My question is, how do Venus flytraps eat flies? They don't have a throat to swallow them. And they don't have a stomach to digest them. But they do have something else that we have, digestive juices. When a Venus flytrap closes, it secretes acid and enzymes that break down the insect so the plant can absorb the nutrients inside. This process takes somewhere between 5 and 12 days. Once it's done, the trap opens back up, the wind or rain sweeps away the remaining exoskeleton, and the trap is ready for a new bug. Generally, each trap closes about 10 to 12 times before it's no longer able to do that anymore. Then it stays open to help the plant with photosynthesis for two to three months, and then the plant can grow new traps to replace the old ones. Many other carnivorous plants also use these digestive juices to get nutrients from insects, but there are a few species that use something else, something we humans also have in our guts, microorganisms. The northern pitcher plant doesn't have the digestive fluids, and they actually rely on other microbes in the pitcher to break down the insect to make it more readily absorbable. Just like Cassidy, Ricky first started getting interested in carnivorous plants when he got his first Venus flytrap as a boy. And just like Ricky, Cassidy has come to care a lot about her little collection. It's like your own mini garden. And, well, now that I think about it, it's kind of fun seeing how good it grows. It's kind of like, you know, kids. Like, it's kind of like kids growing up as a plant. If you're interested in having your own Venus flytrap, 
Here are some tips from Cassidy and Ricky. I got my first one last year. That one kind of died, but then we bought a couple more. So we have six now. Most of them like full sunlight, warm temperatures, and pure water. I accidentally put um, the water that we drink into it on accident. I forgot. You're only supposed to use distilled water or else it will die. One thing about the Venus flytrap, it needs a dormant period. So that would mean putting it in your refrigerator, lower 30s to upper 30s during the winter for about like two or three months. They only live in a 100-mile circumference area that straddles North and South Carolina. And that's their global population. And their habitat is diminishing very rapidly. So it's, it's important that if you're going to have a plant to... Uh, to know that it was responsibly grown and not collected or harvested from the wild. The world of carnivorous plants is diverse and fascinating, full of sticky, slippery traps, digestive enzymes and microorganisms on land and underwater, big and small. Okay, that's enough of that. But these plants really are super cool and have adapted to live in a place where most plants can't. We're going to hear about carnivorous animals in just a minute. But first, Quinn, I have something for your ears to digest. It's time for the mystery sound. sound. Here it is. What is your guess? Um, I think it would be a pitcher plant digesting or something with an animal drinking, maybe. Mm, excellent guess on animal drinking or maybe a pitcher plant digesting. A fly. A fly. Those are all really good guesses. We're going to be back with the answer a little bit later. We're working on a series coming up all about feelings. A whole spectrum of emotion. And we want to hear from our listeners. Our question for you today, what happens in your body when you feel nervous? Quinn, what does it feel like for you when you get nervous? It feels like I have goosebumps and like I feel really embarrassed and like I pretend, smile or like, um, is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Like so Maybe you freeze up a little bit. I kind of blush and get a little embarrassed and goosebumps, and I kind of freeze every for every word I do. Very interesting. Well, listeners, send your answer to this question, what does it feel like in your body when you get nervous, by heading to brainzone.org slash contact. While you're there, you can also submit mystery sounds, ideas, drawings, and questions like this one. Hey, my name is Eric, and I'm from Rochester, Minnesota. My question is, if you planted a popcorn kernel, would it grow into a popcorn plant? We'll answer that during our moment of um at the end of the show. Plus, we'll read the latest group of listeners to be added to the Brain's Honor Roll. Keep listening! Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, 
the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. You're listening to Brains On. I'm Quinn. And I'm Molly. We're going to switch gears from carnivorous plants to carnivorous animals. And we're going to answer this fascinating question. Hi, my name is Kayim from Carson, Alberta. And my question is, we have to eat vegetables to be healthy. Why do carnivores not require the same nutrients and minerals found in vegetables? What a great question, Kayim. Yeah, it's clear that this is not a scene you will ever hear at a Cheetah's dining room table. Eat your vegetables, please. Do I have to? Yes. Why? Because vegetables provide you with essential vitamins, minerals, and fiber. Okay, so there are a few reasons this conversation would never happen. First off, cheetahs don't speak English. They speak cheetah. Also, cheetahs don't care for formal dining areas, much less tables. But most importantly, it's because they're carnivores. Carnivores are animals that eat other animals. Some examples are snakes, lions, and owls. Humans, um, hello, as well as animals like chipmunks, chipmunk, chipmunk. bears, Growl. and blue jays sweet, sweet. are omnivores. That means we eat both animals and plants. And then there's herbivores like elephants, <coughs> cows, Moo. and rabbits. Hop, hop. They eat only plants. So imagine some animal pals going out for lunch at the hot new salad bar in town. This salad bar is amazing. The carrots are cut into five different shapes. Did you see them, Gazelle? Of course, Rabbit. You couldn't stop pointing at them. Oh, yeah. Their fresh grass selection is very impressive. Organic, gluten-free, artisan cut. You can really taste the difference. Not to mention all this fruit. So fresh. Mouse loves fruit. Hey, Lion, what's up with the empty plate? Do you mean to tell me you couldn't find a single thing to eat from this eye-popping selection? Well, Rabbit, I'd say this place is more targeted at the herbivores among us. Oh, right. Well, it was Gazelle's turn to pick the place. Don't blame me. He's just a picky eater. Besides, it has five starfish on Yowl, so you know the food is good. Actually, Gazelle, I couldn't eat that grass even if I wanted to. Which I most certainly don't. What? But it was grown using no harmful pesticides by local farmers. It actually came from the front yard. My digestive tract is not built like yours. Mine is basically an elegant tube. In and out goes the food. You have a four-chambered stomach that allows you to break down the tough fibers of plants like grass 
with help from all those wonderful little microorganisms living in your gut. And you and Rabbit and Mouse all have places where those tough morsels can sit and be digested over time. Me, not so much. My food passes through at a much quicker pace. I even have a different set of microorganisms tailored to my... More refined tastes in food. Bummer for you, then. More for Mouse. <laughs> mouse, don't be rude. We need to find something for him to eat. Yeah, Mouse. Maybe the server knows if this salabar has any secret non-vegetarian options. I mean, they gotta have something, right, Mouse? 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 Where'd you go? Wasn't she just here a second ago? I could have sworn. Maybe she went to go find the waitress? Yeah? How odd. Well... I'm sure she'll turn up, eventually, one way or another. Well, riddle me this, Lion. If you can't eat plants, how do you get all the vitamins and minerals and stuff that you need? I get that from my grass. It's chock full of good stuff. Well, you know, there are vitamins and minerals in the things I eat, too. Like what? Well, organs are very nutrient-rich. And then there's bones, a great source of calcium... Viscera isn't just a beautiful word. It tastes divine. Bones? Get a load of that rabbit. He eats bones. Rabbit? Now rabbit too? They're probably both in the bathroom. Yeah, they they probably went to the bathroom. Mm. Sometimes I enjoy some fur too. My favorite, however, is the liver. Delicious. Yeah... So that sounds great. Um, you know, I I just remembered I have an appointment. Oh, really? Where? Somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Not here. Gotta go. You know what? I'm full too. Till next time, Gazelle. Uh, waitress, waitress, can I get the check? I think my friends won't be paying for their meals, unfortunately. So the reason carnivores don't need to eat their vegetables, they can't process plants the way herbivores do, and they've evolved to get all the nutrients they need from the animals they eat. We're going to hear more about feeding animals in a little bit, but first, we're going to feed your ears again. Let's go back to the mystery sound. Any new thoughts, Quinn? Well, I still think the the pitcher plant digesting and and the and the I'm gonna change the animal drinking something a little bit to a herbivore drinking. Hmm, interesting. Okay, a herbivore drinking. I like that. I guess. don't th- I don't think there's any blood in there. Okay. <laughs> Excellent guess. Well, here is the answer. My name is Bella from Kansas, and I am 10 years old. The sound you just heard was my potbelly pig, Barbie, eating her slop. Most of the time we feed her pig feed, but on occasions we feed her slop, which is leftovers and old food most people throw away. Her favorite thing is old brown bananas. Barbie picks them up in her mouth, slurps up the banana part, and spits out the peel. Brains, brains, brains. Pigs are omnivores, and as we just learned, omnivores, herbivores, and carnivores all have very different ways of digesting and getting the nutrients they need. 
in a place like the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., it's someone's job to make sure all the animals, from ants to zebras, get the right nutrition. My name is Mike Meslanka. I am the head of the Department of Nutrition Science for Smithsonian's National Zoological Park and the Conservation Biology Institute. The carnivores there rely on Mike for their diet. In a zoological setting, when it comes to feeding carnivores, we can't feed out gazelles to our cheetahs. So what we do is we feed out commercial meat mixes that have nutrient profiles that kind of look like those gazelles. What we do is we, we have a ground beef that mixes in other nutrients that those carnivores need. As with most solutions, they're not always perfect. And so in this case, we also feed bone and we also feed whole prey. So things like rabbits and rats and mice, because all of those things are important for us to provide a balanced diet and provide variety. You know, when these animals first came into zoo settings, they were fed carcass. And then because that was difficult, they migrated towards feeding them slab meat which is, you know, basically steak. And they weren't getting that calcium. So we had lions and tigers and cheetahs that had metabolic bone disease. So then we created these commercial diets, but they're soft diets and they don't require a lot of chewing. They meet all the nutrient needs, but from a behavioral standpoint and from a physical standpoint, they might not be meeting some other needs. So now we're coming all the way back to the beginning and saying, hey, maybe we ought to go back to feeding more carcass because it's, it's better for these animals in terms of providing them with a wider variety of nutrients, more fiber, and then giving them something in a physical form that challenges them to eat. It's interesting because every new case that we have and every time that we really dig down deep into a new species, there's so many things to be excited about and learn about. One day we're working on how to feed a colony of leafcutter ants, and the next day we're working on feeding zebras, and the next day it's Komodo dragons, and the next day it's migratory passerine birds. Carnivorous plants can use acid, enzymes, and sometimes microorganisms to break down the creatures they eat and absorb their nutrients. Carnivores only eat animals, herbivores only eat plants, and omnivores can eat both. Carnivorous animals have different digestive tracts than herbivores and omnivores. And they've evolved to get all the nutrients they need from eating other animals. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Molly Bloom, Mark Sanchez, and Sandin Totten. Manica Wilhelm is the grooviest of fellows. We had production help this week from Jackie Kim and engineering help from John Miller and Veronica Rodriguez. Many thanks to Callie Menster, Julie Churchill, Eric Spalding, Eric Ringham, and Anna Weggel. Brains On is a nonprofit public media podcast, and your donations help keep the show going. Head to brainson.org slash donate to give and see our cool thank you gifts. Now, before we go, it's time for the moment of um. My question is, if you planted a popcorn kernel, would it grow into a popcorn plant? My name is Phil Fox. I'm the VP of product development at Popcornopolis. I'm also the chief food scientist, the chief foodie, and we make lots of popcorn every day. 
So if you take a kernel of popcorn, it's going to grow. Definitely, it'll make a plant. But how good of a plant, you don't really know until you try. So that has to do with the hybridization process or the crossbreeding process that a lot of modern popcorn companies use in terms of their seed. So I think the best thing to do would be to find an heirloom variety of popcorn. So an heirloom variety is a really ancient seed that's not been um, genetically modified or hybridized or anything like that. So it's the native seed that's been around for eons. So after the kernel has grown, uh, it needs to go through a drying process. So you may be thinking this plant looks like, well, a popcorn plant. It's really gonna look more like a corn plant. So you can take that cob of corn off the plant and you can remove the kernels and then you'd have to dry them out a bit. So in order for this popcorn to look like that beautiful popcorn that you see around um, at the movie theater, wherever, um, it needs to go through that drying process. So once it does that, then you could use it as popcorn. Put it in your microwave, whatever you want to do. This list of names is popping. It's time for the Brain's Honor Roll. These are the brilliant listeners who share their ideas, questions, mystery sounds, and drawings with us. They make this show what it is. Atticus from Spartansburg, South Carolina. Elliot and Kit from Brockton, Massachusetts. Gavin and Georgia from Freeport, Maine. Alex from SeaTac, Washington. Ben and James from Ashland, Virginia. Max and Nick from Eagle Rock, California. Eliza from Egan, Minnesota. Clara from Sydney, Australia. Kate and Sam from Bangkok, Thailand. Tristan from Grahamstown, South Africa. Isaac from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Vincent from Missoula, Montana. Emily from San Mateo, California. Hunter from Framingham, Massachusetts. Etienne from Auckland, New Zealand. Cable from Salt Lake City. Noah from Indianapolis. Duncan from Portland, Oregon. Alder from Seattle. Amelia, Annabelle, and Isaiah from Wyoming, Ohio, Avery and Sam from Winnipeg, Kenley from Foxborough, Wisconsin, Marcos from Miami, Sophie from Malibu, California, Henry from Edmonton, Alberta, Dominic from Syracuse, New York, Sonny and Abby from Israel, Emmy from McLean, Virginia, Atish and Ajesh from Amosa Beach, California, Alexandria and Nicholas from Stanwood, Washington, Adelia and Logan from White Bear Lake, Minnesota, Bastilio from Asheville, North Carolina, Emmett and Isaac from San Jose, California, Sadie and Lucy from Apison, Tennessee, Simon from Lisbon Falls, Maine, Lily from Rockville, Maryland, Pima from Tampa, Florida, Cal from Lafayette, Louisiana, Ben from Manhattan Beach, California, Sawyer, Oliver, Lucia, and Thatcher from Medford, Oregon, Ridgely from Los Angeles, Lior from Melbourne, Australia, Avalon and Siri from Tanzania, Rizal from Toronto, Phoebe and Felix from Iowa City, Stella and Eiler from Redding, California, Ashelia from Waco, Texas, Lauren from Westland, Oregon, Catherine and Wells from Portland, Oregon, Jude from Virginia Beach, and Nathan and Jaden from Decatur, Georgia. Thanks for listening!